um, message of identity is because I believe that we will never fully know who we are until we know who God is. How many of you could say amen? And I think that's the problem with many of us. I think we struggle with so much with ourselves because we struggle with so much with getting to know who God is. And, and, and that might be the answer to our problem. James McDonald, who you know already that I love dearly in his ministry dearly, says this, power in life flows from a sense of who you are. You can't know who you are until you know who God is. And um, I love that quote because I, I get it, man, that if I know who God is, then I'll know much better who I am. And, and I just want to encourage you with that today. You know, Adam and Eve is someone that gets picked on so much in Scripture. At least in this church, they get picked on so much. I'm guessing when I get to heaven and, and we see them, they're going to be like, dude, you guys preached about me so much over there. Uh, but they were such a great example to this, you know. They spoke. Th think about in the, in the book of Genesis, and if you haven't, read the first few chapters. You should read it. Adam and Eve are always a great example to this because they walked with God. They spoke with God in the garden. And the Lord gives them this special power. And the Lord gives them a power over all things. Actually, the word that the Lord uses is you have dominion now over all things. That's a pretty big word, dominion. You have dominion over all, and then he tells them to be fruitful, to multiply, right? We know the rest of the story, right? They're fruitful, they're multiplying, they're calling things by name, and then they eventually all what? They both what? They both sin. They fall short, they sin. And as soon as they sin, we see that clearly in the, in the book of Genesis that there's a separation that takes place because of their sin. There's a separation between them and God. And we, quick, we quickly see, we clearly see them to, uh, begin to lose their identity in God. We know that to be true because God comes back to meet them and as he's walking in the garden, he says, Adam, where are you? Adam's losing his identity with God and God knows that and asks Adam, where are you? Not only does he ask Adam, where are you? He even says, who told you that you were naked and that you needed to put clothes on? Two amazing questions that reveal to us, the reader, that there was an identity crisis in the Garden of Eden. And the identity crisis started because they separated themselves from the one, from the one that they were to share the likeness of and the image of God. And when they separated themselves from that truth, we see that there was an identity problem with Adam and Eve. Where are you? Why do you need clothes on? Basically, what God is telling Adam is, you're not the same Adam, and who or what has influenced you to change? Because it's obvious something was influencing Adam. Can we all agree on that? I, I definitely agree. With, I definitely believe that. So, you know, I started to think about Adam and Eve and how we as a church sometimes kind of envision them and label them and characterize them. And I wonder how many of you characterize me and I wonder how I characterize some of you, right? You guys are probably like, I wonder how they look at me like. And I wrote this down and I, and I want to make sure you understand this, that your struggle should never be your identity. You should write that if, if you struggle with something. That should not be your identity. Your sin is not your identity. Your failure is not your identity. Your past is not your identity. And people who influence you are not your identity. Amen? There's only one. One, and, and, and we're going to get to that. Because the truth is that you will continue and I will continue. We will continue to fall short in finding who we are if we try to find it in everything or in anything else rather than God. We're going to fall short. And Adam and Eve lost their identity because they turned away from God. And I've recognized that when I start to turn a little bit from God, it just scrapes off. Pieces of who I am, my identity begins to be lost. And I start to recognize, and I say, how many of you said this to yourself? This is not who I am. <laughs> because this is not where you should be. And I've seen that in my life where when I'm not who I am, it's, not, it's because I'm not where I'm supposed to be. So I need to go back to God to become the person that I was always created to be because true identity in me is found in one, in God. So to answer this question, who do you think he is? It's so important. It's so important in our lives as we grow. If you can, write this down in your notes. 
When our relationship with the Lord breaks down, then our identity begins to break down. That's the obvious. So when relationship with God goes sour, our identity begins to turn sour. Because you heard me just say that our true identity is only found in God. And God reveals this to us. And if you're taking notes, it's in Genesis 1.26. I'm not making it up. Genesis 1.26. He reveals it to us when he says that we are created in his image and in his likeness. Can't make that stuff up. So turning away, rebelling from God is turning away from his likeness, rebelling from his image. That is turning away and rebelling from our very own true identity. So many people lost because the true answer is they have not found Christ. Something that has broke my heart, at least this week, and, and, and I haven't made jokes about it, and I've been very careful, especially coming off a series like Addicted earlier in the year, is, you know, Lamar Odom's situation. That's a serious situation. A basketball player who had all the riches, who had all the money, who had all the fame, played under the lights, was a freak in talent, popular, famous, but yet he struggles with something that has a grip on him. Man, if, if, that, if that young man just gets to know who God is, if he could just make contact with who Christ is, he'll start to recognize what he's been called for. I wonder if you guys believe that, you know? Not for Lamar Odom, for, for yourself. For ourselves. Knowing who God is, so I can finally figure out who I am. That's very important for us to answer this. Who do you think he is? I'm going to say this. You know, what you believe and how you answer this question, who do you think he is? It determines how you live your life. It determines how you live your life. Because God's holy. So you're called to live what? You see, when you know God's holiness, you live in God's holiness. When you know God's goodness, you live in God's goodness. When you know God's love, you live in God's love. You see, who do you think he is? When, determine how you, how you believe this and how you answer this. It will show how you live your life. One person says, how I identify myself determines how I approach life. And the truth is, it's not necessarily how I identify myself. It's who I identify myself in. And that's what it's all about. You know, I started to think about the book of Matthew, and you've heard us, many of these uh, passages, you've heard it before here. And in Matthew, Jesus is speaking to his um, followers. He's speaking to his disciples. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, it's, very, it's a very important passage. Because here are a group of men that have done life with Jesus. Here's a group of men that have seen some amazing stuff take place. Here are some men that if you were to sit down with them, the stories you would hear from the stuff that they've encountered with Christ walking from, from village to village would be mind-blowing, right? So I'm sure that if um, you were going to ask anyone, yo, who's Jesus? These 12 men, you guys know who the 12 men I'm talking about, who they are, right? The 12 disciples, I'm sure that they had a lot to say about who Jesus is. Oh, where do I start? So Jesus knows that. So what does Jesus do? He's like, I just want to ask you guys, who do you think I am? Because I know what everyone else is saying. And listen, I know what everyone else says. Because I hear things that, how many of you hear things that are said about you? Okay, I know what people say about me. But the most important thing in my life, where I got to come back to is, is what does God say about me? So, so here is here's Jesus, and he looks at the 12 disciples and he wants to make sure that they understand who he is. Because that's the most important thing in their lives at this point of their ministry, right? If these are 12 men that are going to change the world, if these are 12 men that are going to start the early church, well, 11 and the 12th one will be added later. But if these were men that were going to do some amazing, miraculous, mind-blowing things, they needed to know one answer before they started their ministry. And the answer to the question, um, the question was this, who am I? And if those 12 men could not answer who Jesus was, how will they ever change the world with their lives? Because at the end of the day, that's what it all comes down to. 
This question that Jesus asks them, who do you say that I am? Because who you say that I am determines the way you live your life. Come on, church. Who do you think he is? I hope you guys could change it by the answer. That's not who I think he is. It's who I know he is. That's why I put think in it. Because I want you to change that word, think. Because I've had so many conversations with people. And it's why I think. What's, what's think? You can't risk thinking things about God. You can't think risking things about eternity. You can't, you can't like, oh, I think it's like, no, no, no. You better get to a place in your walk where, where you better know who God is. How many of you can say amen? So, so here it is. Let's read the passage. Let's the Bible be the Bible. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he, he asked his disciples. Here it is, guys. Watch what he does here. He says, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? So they began to, to reply, say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, others say you're Jeremiah, some say you're some of the prophets. And so Jesus now, he's like, okay, that's not really what I wanted to ask you, right? He was kind of just prepping them up for the main question. And in verse 15, he turns to them again, he asks them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? See, I know what everyone else says, but there's going to be a time very soon where I'm going to preach a message and hundreds will stop following me. And I'm going to turn around and only you 12 are going to be left. So if you 12 are going to be left in following me, I need to make sure you know the answer to this question. Who do you say that I am? Church, who do you say God is? Who do you say? So you know who kind of steps up, right, Peter? Verse 16, it says, Peter... Stands out and he's like, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. Because my father who's in heaven, look what it says. He has revealed this to you. I underline this. I underline this right here. You did not learn this from any human being. God revealed this to you. No human being influenced you to believe this. This was something that happened between us right here. It wasn't something that happened between men. And then he says in verse 18, So I say to you, Peter, which means rock, upon this rock I build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. This is an awesome passage. He wanted his disciples to know for themselves who he was. Now who others influenced them to believe he was? Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders and many other Jews were saying a lot of things about Jesus. And they wanted to make sure that however they answered this, it wasn't by what everyone else was saying. Like, like really, like I hope that the Jesus that the church knows is not just the Jesus that the pastor is preaching. Come on. It goes deeper than that. It's stronger than that. And that's what Jesus wants to, wants to make sure that they get, that they understand. Not who others influence you. I am, but who do you say for yourself that I am? And I wrote this down in my notes. Church, church, who do we say he is? Like, who do we think he is? Or let's change the word. Who do we know he is? Because Peter's answer to Christ comes from what? A revelation. And it comes from a revelation of God in his heart. And Jesus shows us that in the passage where he says, wait, man didn't show you this, but God, the Father, has revealed this to you. So it came from a revelation of God. And one of the things that we see here is that Peter finds his own identity. Everyone say, Peter found himself. Say that. Say it one more time. Peter found himself. Okay, I want you to catch this in this passage. The only reason why Peter found his true identity is because he finally identified who Jesus Christ was. Peter found himself because he found Jesus. That's it. He found Jesus. And, and we see this in this passage here. He finds his identity. He finds who Peter is by identifying Jesus, by knowing who Jesus is, by knowing who he is. And because of this factor of identity and finding his identity and knowing who he is in Christ, look what Christ tells Peter. 
Now Peter would be able to experience heaven, not just heaven, but also experience heaven's power on earth. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that you could pray for someone and what you're praying for could happen? (laughs) Isn't that amazing that you could believe in the word of God and what it says about tithing and that the things that it says are going to happen, it happens? Isn't it crazy that you could talk to someone about Jesus and they begin to break down and they confess their sin and they repent and they accept the Lord in their heart and there's transformation and fruit of repentance in their life because we now have the ability in knowing who Christ is and who we are in Christ, we now have the power of heaven here on earth. But we can't, we can't live in that power if we first don't know who holds that and who God is. Peter, who do you say that I am? Well, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Peter, that revelation has been given to you. Will now change your life forever. Really, Lord, how? Whatever you bind here will be bound there. Whatever you speak here will be spoken there. You now have been giving heaven's power here on earth. That's powerful. That's mighty. That's strong. Because we, we start to see Peter's life, and Peter's whole entire life was now shaped and, and poured out due to the revelation of knowing who God is. Who else would walk to a cross? And biblical historians say that Peter, as he was walking towards his execution, was singing praise songs to the cross. Who else can look at the place where they were going to be executed and cry out, Oh, cross, how long I waited thee? Who could say such a word like that? To ready to enter into their execution date and yet look at it as a smelling aroma unto God. I'll tell you who could do that. Someone who knows who God is, who's less about themselves and who's more about God. Who could be like John the Baptist that says, oh good, Jesus is over there saving people. They're baptizing people over there. Thousands are being saved. Awesome. I must decrease now so that he may increase. That statement means my head's going to get cut off. Who can do such a thing? It's someone who knows who God is and knows their role in Jesus Christ someone who finds themselves in Christ and we see that all throughout scripture can you imagine how our lives here in the middle of our community in our culture in our city in our church in our workplace can you imagine how our lives can be transformed by truly knowing who God is man just sit on that for a little bit We've been given that revelation. I'll prove it to you. 2 Corinthians, if you're taking notes, chapter 1, verse 22, it says something powerful. 2 Corinthians 1, 22. It says, and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts. That's good. That's good. Lord, transform me. And the Lord's like, then know me. Know me. Lord, change me. And God's like, come know me. Lord, do this. And he's like, come know me. I wrote this down so you could write it down after I wrote it down. Here it is, ready? When you learn who he is, When you learn who he is, it begins to change what you do. When you learn who he is, it begins to change what you do. You could write that down. And once you finish writing that down, go to Luke chapter 17. I I believe you're going to be blessed yet again by this passage. Luke chapter 17, and put your eyes on verse 11 with me. Once you're can you just shout an amen so I can know when to start? Luke 17, 11. When you learn who he is, it begins to change what you do. Hey, can you say that with me? When I learn who he is, it begins to change what I do. One more time, come on. When I learn who he is, it begins to change what I do. That's right. Believe that for yourselves. Believe that. Luke chapter 17. Guys, catch this with me. Let's just read the passage together real quick. Ready? Well, just not together. That will be weird. But here we go. I'll read it to you. Follow along. 
It says, now it happened that as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a certain village there, he met ten men who were lepers. Everyone say ten, ten. Right, just, just because. Ten men who were lepers. And they stood afar off. I like that. Say afar off. Yeah, they were at a distance, right? They were far. They weren't close by. They were afar off. How many of you have been afar off before? How many of you have just been like, God? Where? Afar. From a distance. Someone was like, binoculars. Yeah, I've been there. Can't even throw a rock. Can't even throw a stone and hit them from, from where I'm at. Love how the passage is very careful with its words. And it wants the reader to know that, hey, these lepers were afar, at a distance, separated, outcasted. Okay? Pushed away. They were not accepted people. They were not people that were normally drawn in. They were not part of that norm of that culture of this day. They, they were afar off. Ever felt that way? Ever felt that way spiritually? Just, man, what, are you, what language are you guys speaking? I'm so f- far from everyone in this place. I'm just at a, a weird place in my life. So as he entered this city, it says he met there with these ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. Verse 13 says, And they lifted up their voices, and they began to say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priest. So it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, everyone say one. How many did we start with? How many did we end up with? We did math, right? How many left them? It's just the faith for you. <laughs> it's just the way Christianity rolls for you. Ten. Ten were cleansed. Ten were healed. Ten were touched. How many of you are touched today? I wonder how many of you will be that one that says, yeah, but my life is going to be different because of today. You see the difference? See the difference? See the difference? We could all raise our hands and say, me, pastor, I'm, I got this, man. This thing is rocking my heart. But, there, but maybe there's that one of you that will be like, no, no, no. I'm coming back to the feet of Jesus forever. Like this stuff is going to change me for the rest of my life, the things that you're saying today through the word. So, so one comes back. We had ten. Ten, we, you know, we sing a song with Jackson, you know. Five little monkeys jumping on the bed. One fell down and bumped his head. Mama called the doctor and the doctor said, No more monkeys jumping on the bed. Four more monkeys jumping on the bed. One fell down and he bumped his head. Mama called the doctor and the doctor said, Three more monkeys jumping on the bed. One fell down and... Mama called the doctor and the doctor said, Are you noticing what's happening? Two more monkeys jumped on the... You know how the song ends up? There's one monkey now jumping on the bed. There's one. That, 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 that song in that book is almost biblical. <laughs> it's almost biblical. It's like the church started so good. <laughs> Everyone was on fire for God and one monkey left. Where did everyone go? I'm the only one. <laughs> he bumps his head too and the bed stays empty. <laughs> and then I was like, everyone go to sleep with bruises on their heads. It's a mess. It's kind of like the faith, right? It's kind of like the walk with Christ. It's like, get back on the bed. Get back to your call. Get back to what God anointed you to do. But I fell down and bumped my head. And mama called the doctor. Ten lepers were jumping on the bed. Guys, one comes back and says, you healed my head. One comes back and says, you, you did something to me. This is so amazing. And look, look what happens here. Ready? Show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were all cleansed. Everyone say, all ten were cleansed. Say that. Yes. And one of them, he saw that he was healed. Everyone say the next word with me. Ready? Returned. Point number one, he returned. And with a loud voice, point number two, glorified. So he returned. Oh, man, I got you all. Whoa, let's sing the song again. Number one, he returned. No, no, say returned. Okay. Number two, he glorified. 
Number one, he returned. Number two, he glorified. He came back and did what? And he did what? Guys, there's about four more, so you got to get with this. He returned and he glorified God. Where are the other nine? Definitely didn't return. Definitely didn't glorify. One returned, one glorified, and it doesn't end there. You thought, oh man, that's good enough. Go back home. That's it. It's good. No, it listen, listen. Just returning and glorifying wasn't enough for him. Let's keep going because this is so good. Verse 16, and he fell down on his face. Come on, number one. You're all going to get F's today in class. Number one, he what? There you go. Number two, he what? You want to guess number three? You know what that's called? Humility. He humbled himself. You've ever been to that point with God? You have nowhere to go? You're running full speed? I'm doing great. Hallelujah. You hit a wall, and the only place that you can go is where? Down to his feet. Ever been there? Oh, man, I can't wait for some of you to be humbled. It's the best feeling in the world. Number one, he returned. Number two, he glorified. Number three, he humbled himself, fell to his face, right? He fell to his face on his, at his feet, and then he gave what? He began to give him thanks, and then because Luke is so detailed, he says, oh, by the way, he was a Samaritan. Guys, let's, let's break this down for a moment. Everyone, ready? When you learn who he is, it begins to change what? It begins to change what you? When you learn who he is, it begins to change what you do. So ten lepers get cleansed. One comes back because he truly learned who he is, and he couldn't do anything but change who he became. Change from who he was. Change from what he normally does. You other nine go back to the city, but I will be the one monkey that goes back. And he does something that's amazing. He returns. The ESV actually uses an amazing phrase. Guess what he uses? He turned back, the ESV says. Not only does he return and turn back, number two, he begins to glorify God. Number three, he falls down on his face in humility. And then number four, he begins to give him thanks. He's filled with thanksgiving. But it all started with returning, with turning back. Do you want to know what that phrase represents? Repentance. Come on, church. It's repentance. He was healed. But it doesn't mean that he was repented. He was healed, but his repentance started when he turned back and he ran to Jesus. Showing a life of true repentance is living at the feet of Jesus. And he runs back to Jesus. He turns back to him. He returns. shows repentance. Do you know that everyone in the New Testament stresses the word repentance? Can you say that word with me? Repent. Repent. Peter in Acts chapter 319 is speaking to a multitude. Guess what he tells them? Now repent for your sins. Look what he uses next. And turn to God. Because repentance is not just the wordage. Repentance is not just a prayer. Repentance is not just getting healed. Repentance is a lifestyle that constantly turns back to be with God. True repentance is living in the presence of Jesus. Come on, church. That's true repentance. True repentance is over here. The person that got drunk and you see them at the party again next week and is drunk again, they never repented because if they repented, they would live at the feet of Jesus. Come on, true repentance. So he turns back and he's repented. Peter says, now repent your sins and turn to God so that your sins will be wiped away. When Jesus started his ministry after being tempted in the wilderness, guess what he began to preach? Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Want to take a guess? Repent. Repent of your sins. But it doesn't end there. Repent of your sins and what? Turn to God. True repentance is what? Coming back to God. Turning to God. 
Ten lepers jumping on the bed. How many truly repented? Come on, church. One came back. One returned. One turned back to God. Repentance. So Jesus says, hey, repent your sins. Turn back to God for the kingdom of heaven is what? It's near. It's at hand. Isn't this good? Are we learning today? This is good for my heart. I hope it's good for your heart. So John the Baptist begins to preach in his ministry, and he tells all the... Re- <laughs> Who better to tell to repent to religious leaders? Because we need to be told to repent too, right? So he tells the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of... Guess, guess, guess what he says. <laughs> bear fruits worthy of repentance. Church, here it is, ready? When you know, when you know who he is, you live a life of constant repentance. Point number one. Point number one. You're not too prideful to say, dude, I screwed up. You're not too prideful to say, I repent, Lord. You're not too prideful to say, Father, forgive me, huh? Turn back. So when you know who he is, you live a life of constant repentance. Or, listen to what I wrote here. I don't know if this means anything to any of you, but listen to this. Our sin draws us away from God. Yes? But our repentance of that sin draws us what? Closer to God. And that's the truth that we have to live by. Uh, I love this quote. Just, just, just soak it in. Ready? Look at this quote. People on earth hate to hear the word repent. They do. Who the heck wants to know repent on earth? People on earth hate to hear the word repent. But those who are in hell, they wish they could hear it just one more time. Just one more time. We're on earth and we're like, repent. No, don't preach that here. And people are screaming in hell, just one more chance to repent. Just one more. Number one, number one, church, number one, he returned. Everyone say, repent. If you know who God is, number one, you live a life of repentance. Does everyone agree? We have 10 lepers. One comes back. Let's go back to the story. What's the second thing he does? Come on. Easy pop quiz. What's the second thing he does? He glorifies God. Do I even have to get into this message, into this point? What does 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 tell us? 1 Corinthians 10 31. Therefore, whether, whether you eat, whether you drink, or whatever you do, guess what that covers? All of your life. Everything of your being. Whatever you do, you do it all for the what? Man, that's good. For the glory of God. It reminds me of John Piper's famous quote, which I share here a lot. Love Piper. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Find that place. Find that place in him where you're fully satisfied once and for all. Find that place in him when you get to know who he is. Be that one leper that finally comes to him. Be satisfied at his feet and be satisfied in his presence. And when you are most satisfied in Christ, God is most glorified in us. When we know who he is, it should satisfy us. Satisfy us to do what? To glorify him in all that we do. It shouldn't be a burden to glorify God. If it is, we might not know the same God. But man, it's an honor to glorify him with your tithes, with your prayers, with your life, with your family. With all that you do, it should satisfy you us, the church, to glorify him. And in that very truth right there, that's where he is most glorified in us. How many of you could say amen? Amen. Amen. Number one, you guys are failing. Number one, return, right? Repent, return. Number two, what's number three? He fell on his face. Everyone say humility. I used to love that song we used to sing back in the days. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself. I won't sing it. Augustine once said this, ready? Do you wish to rise? Begin by descending. You plan a tower that will pierce the clouds? Lay first the foundation of humility. My God. 
You know why uh, there's a guy named Nimrod. He tried to build a tower in the book of Genesis, Tower of Babel. And he said, I'm going to make my tower so high. You met people like that? I'm going to make my bank account so rich. You ever met someone like that? I'm going to make my business so glorious. I'm going to make my ministry so famous. And then you're like, but don't forget to build a foundation of humility. <laughs> you know, people forget that sometimes. So Nimrod was like, I got this, baby. And he builds this tower. And God's like, yeah, I think it's time. We're all going to go down there and confuse the heck out of them. And they had to stop halfway building their tower because he changed everyone's language. And they all went home, all confused. One person was talking in Puerto Rican dialect. You know, cajo. And everyone was like, what language is that? Everyone was so confused. They stopped building the tower. And I see the story behind that. Because God is like, how do you expect me to honor something that was first not built on a true foundation? Man, I could just preach on this right now, but I, I don't want to do that because I have so many other points. But, but how can we build something so beautiful if what we're standing on is <laughs> not the proper foundation? Some people get married, they get divorced. People get a job, they get fired. People make money, they go bankrupt. You know what I'm saying, right? You get it? God, where were you? He's like, I was still whispering at you from the foundation, saying, what are you doing up there? We're not even done down here. That's where I've been. How the heck did you get to the 15th floor? Well, I'm still working on your foundation. You're like, well, God, I have other things to do. And God's like, well... Son, I know you're on the 15th floor and it looks great from the outside, but what you don't understand, that this right here is the most important part of your building. You know, there's two people that built their houses, right? The Bible says that one built his house on the sand, one built his house on the rock, and there was a storm and the rain came and the wind comes and everything starts to blow the houses and the one that was built on sand, it just great was its fall, it crumbled. You want to know why a house was destroyed? It was built on sand. You and I know very well that how beautiful, that or how beautiful the house is, if it's built on sand, you're not going to move into the house and put any kind of down payment on that house. Because the first little storm in Miami, the rainstorm is going to just collapse that house. But the Bible says that the second house was built on the rock, and when the same storm came, when the same wind came, when the same rain came, man, that house stood. There were both beautiful houses, but only one in its core, in its depth, in its foundation. It was founded in truth. And no matter what comes, when your life is built on its truth, nothing can destroy God's absolute truth. Good luck trying to bring that down. So number one, he returned. Number two, he glorified him. But number three, don't ever forget this, he humbled himself at the feet of Jesus. I got to get the foundation right, the leper said, that was jumping on the bed. You know, I think of King Darius, when in his pride he made himself to be a god, and he threw God's anointed Daniel in the lion's den. You've ever heard that story? Have you ever heard of La Daniel in the lion's den, anyone? Two of one of you? It's okay. He didn't follow his orders, but then later on he becomes humbled. Let me just read this for you because I don't have time to, to get into all this right now. I'm, I'm really just loving this message, so I want to take my time, but I want to fly through this part. L look at um, Daniel uh, chapter 6, verse 25, 26, and 27. It says, Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and the language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. Verse 26, I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. Amen. Now, a couple hours before this, it wasn't amen. He threw Daniel, our brother in the Lord, into the lion's den to die. Daniel did not die. God shut the lion's mouth. When he saw that, he said, oh, my God. Everyone, stop what you're doing. Serve Daniel's God. From this day and forever, he is the one true God. Get rid of my idols. Stop serving me. Stop worshiping me. Worship Daniel's God. You want to know what he was? 
He was humbled. His foundation was broken. <laughs> so he told everyone, look at verse 27. Daniel's God, <laughs> he rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He's rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So guess what happens with Daniel? He prospers. He prospers during this evil king Darius' reign, and Darius turned to God. He had to. I think of the three Hebrew men who were thrown into a furnace. Remember them? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't obey King Nebuchadnezzar's orders, and it humbled him too. It humbled him. I'll read it to you real quick. So Nebuchadnezzar, after he got humbled, he came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace, and he shouted, Hey, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego stepped out of the fire, and the high officers and the officials and the governors and the advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire hadn't even touched them and not a hair on their heads was signed off and their clothing wasn't even scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. Come on, there should be an amen for that. So Nebuchadnezzar says, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> Their God. He sent an angel to rescue them. Who trusted in him, he defied the king's commands, and they were willing to die rather than to serve and worship any other God except their own God. You want to think they have a good foundation or what? They had a good foundation. Throw me in the fire if you got to. I will not bow down to your God. So therefore, verse 29 I make this new decree, I make this new law. If any people, whatever their race, whatever their nation, whatever their language, live, um, whatever it is, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Guess what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were promoted promoted to even higher positions in Babylon. This is amazing, guys. Because all throughout Scripture, the Lord humbles the prideful. All throughout Scripture, the pride is being destroyed. So I tell you, the church which I pastor, do not be prideful like the other nine lepers. The other nine lepers that went their own way to be the old person that they once were, I'm calling you guys, and God is calling you guys to be like that one leper that falls back, returns back, glorifies him, falls at his face in humility, and comes back to the presence and to the feet of Jesus. Don't pride, don't puff up yourself with pride. Humble yourself before the glorious presence of Jesus Christ. How many of you can say amen? When we know who he is, we can't but humble ourselves and fall to his feet unto his service. You've heard me say this quote from Rick Warren. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And that's the truth, man. That's who we are. So number one, he what? Returned. Number two, he what? Number three, he did what? He humbled himself. And number four, he was filled with thanksgiving. He was giving thanks. He began to give Jesus thanks. And I hope that we'd all agree here. I hope we'd all agree that being thankful is not about what we have or what we wish to have. Guys, listen to me, please. Listen to this. Being thankful is not about what we have or what we wish to have, but it's a matter of the heart and what the Lord has done in us. How many of you can say amen? And that alone is enough. One more time. Thanksgiving. Thankfulness is not what you can get a hold of, but it's about who has gotten a hold of you. That's it. That's it. The leper fell to his face and he gave thanks. It meant a lot more to the leper. You want to know why? He was a leper. He was a far off. A leper, one who would not make sense to receive any kind of goodwill. Have you ever seen a leper? Because I haven't. But I've seen through the internet what leprosy does. Pieces of your skin falls off. Your ears start dangling off. Your, your skin becomes rotten. 
It's kind of like gangrene, if you've ever seen gangrene photos. Don't go home and Google it. It'll make you sick to your stomach. But that's not someone that would definitely receive goodwill and kind treatment, especially grace. But in Christ, this one leper receives this. And he does what all of us should do if we know who he is. He repents. He glorifies him. He humbles himself. And number four, he's filled with thanksgiving. Have you guys noticed he hasn't even gone back to his neighborhood yet to go see his wife and his kids and his riches and his house to see if it's all there to be thankful for all that again? Because he realizes right there in his life that his thanksgiving is not found in anything else but in Jesus Christ, his Lord. Number four, thanksgiving. Church, who do you think he is? Huh? Who do you think he is? You guys remember last week, David? I end with David's reply to, if you missed last week, you got to listen to the podcast, but I feel like it's fitting for me to end with where I started at last week. And in 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, David confronts Goliath. You guys hopefully remember a little bit of last week's message. And look what happens. David replies to the Philistine in verse 45. And he says, you come to me with the sword, with spear, with javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. I'm going to stop you for a moment. What was David really confessing there? He knew who God was. Just follow me for a moment. Because I'm going to end with this. David confronted Goliath. You come to me with all your weapons. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. You want to know what that was? He recognized that his God, who he is, and that is that he is powerful. Not just powerful. He is all powerful. That's what that quote means. He keeps on, he says, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. You don't know what David is saying there? (laughs) Not only is he all powerful, number two, I've recognized who he is. You've defiled him. You want to know what David's really saying? He's holy. He's an all-powerful, holy God who I'm coming to you with. Look at verse 46. Today the Lord will conquer you. Oh, by the way, not only is he all-powerful, not only is he holy, number three, he is victorious. There is victory in his name. You can't prove that. Yes, I could. Verse 46 says, today the Lord will conquer you. He never said, today I'm going to conquer you. Today, the Lord will conquer you. You want to know why? He knew who he was. First off, what made David confront Goliath? What made David so bold? Oh, I'll tell you what it was. He knew who he was. Because he knew who he was. He knew who David the little shepherd was. Because he knew who the all-powerful, holy, victorious God was. It doesn't end there. Hold up. And I will kill you. And I will cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of all your men to the birds and to the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is only one God of Israel. One, one God. I don't even have to get into that. Look at verse 47. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. Not only is my God all-powerful, holy, victorious, but watch this. My God is also salvation and deliverer. You know why David could say that? Because his very very own hands fought lions and bears. He's seen God's deliverance. He's seen God's salvation. It doesn't end there. The Lord rescues his people, but not with sword, and not with spear. This is the Lord's battle. What is he saying there? Oh, the God that I know, he's sovereign. This is his battle. He's sovereign. Notice the theology 
behind David. Notice the theology behind how he's confronting Goliath. This is the Lord's battle. He's sovereign. And he will give you to us. He's also of God of prosperity. What theology David had. My God is all powerful. My God is holy. My God is victorious. My God is salvation and deliverer. My God is sovereign. My God is prosperous. You're done today. Those are just to name a few things. And maybe as we read this, you caught some more stuff. But it led David to do the unthinkable. It led David to do the ridiculous. It led David to do what is uncommon, church. David believed that he could, not because of who he was, but because of who God is. How many of you could say amen? He knew who he was because he knew who God is. David believed the impossible because he knew the God that makes all things possible. And I end with this. Stand before others like David because you kneel before Jesus like the leper. That's it. That's it. Stand like David because you kneel like the leper. And you're going to have a good life in Christ. Stand like David before people. And when someone asks you, how is it that you stand through such adversity? How is it that you stand through such trials? You look at them in the face because in this stance, there is a leper kneeling at the feet of Jesus. Man. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you today. I want to stand like David because my first stance is I kneel like the leper. I repent. I glorify you. I humble myself and I give thanks at your feet. And because of this leper postured at your feet, I can stand like David in the midst of my battle. Lord, I get the revelation. I know who I am when I finally get to know who you are. I can be David in the field if I can first be the leper at your feet. And let me, let me never live a day of my life without knowing that. Yes, I'm called to be David. All while being the leper. Doing those things at the feet of Jesus. Lord, I, I don't know what else to say. Bless this church. Bless these people. Change their lives. We love you today. We thank you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you.